Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 236. Absolutely thrilled to kick off a new year with more fantastic episodes here on the podcast. And well, the Back of the Range Golf podcast isn't just a podcast anymore. Many of you have already figured out that the reach of the Back of the Range expanded quite a bit in 2021, and I'm looking forward to doing a whole lot more in 2022. More episodes, we did 60 last year. More tournaments, we did 19 of those and perhaps some other original content along the way. Now, we're going to kick off 2022 here on the podcast with one of my all-time favorite guests, Dottie Pepper. I've been super fortunate to spend time with Dottie at tournaments, pick her brain along the way, definitely a trusted mentor and advisor for me, and, you know, that means she gets lifetime mojo. Dottie was first a guest here at the back of the range on episode 63 in March of 2019. We spoke a lot about her start in the game, her playing career, the transition to broadcasting. Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. This episode, we focus on her new book. Yes, she's an author as well. The title of this book is Letters to a Future Champion, My Time with Mr. Pulver. The book focuses on her relationship with her mentor, George J. Pulver Sr., an excellent golfer in his own right, as well as a course designer. But they connected when Dottie was just 15 years old, and he helped shape her early career in junior golf, then playing amateur golf on the national stage, and during her collegiate career at Furman. We spoke about a few of the anecdotes that I was able to uncover while reading the book, and not only am I going to put the link in the show notes of this episode so that you know how you can purchase it yourself, But as you'll hear during the episode, Dottie is going to provide a signed copy of this book to a listener of this episode. So the giveaway will be posted on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But if you'd rather just shoot me an email and say, Ben, put me in the drawing, you can do that as well. So shoot me an email, ben at thebackoftherange.com. The giveaway will start sometime next week. Don't worry, I'll let you all know about it. But very thankful to Dottie for doing this and for spending more time with me here at the back of the range. Now, while we spoke a lot about the book, I could not ask Dottie Pepper what she thought of the year in golf in 2021. So we spoke about the Ryder Cup, Majors, Phil, the LPGA, and she had some really interesting ideas to share on that topic. So let's get to it. Let's kick off the year strong. Dottie, welcome back to the back of the range. How are you? <laughs> this is uh, this is a flashback going back to when it was on on last in what March of 2019. How the world's changed? As exactly episode. Let's see, what was it? Episode 63. Mm-hmm. Episode 63 back on March 5th, 2019. Uh, I guess your our conversation is really just the kind words and thoughts that you said about Tiger Woods just led to his victory at the Masters. I, I'm. <laughs> What? What happened? I'll take all the credit and none of the blame. (laughs) It is crazy, though. I mean, Tiger wins, and then obviously, uh, you know, it's kind of similar to the conversation I had with 
with Hieronimo Estevi, a guy that you're very familiar with. And, you know, he yeah. has, uh, you know, everything's kind of changed, you know, COVID and just all the incredible, uh, I don't know if incredible is the right word, but just it, it's how the world has changed over the last two, three years. Um, are we kind of coming out of this or is it just the new normal now? How, I mean, how do you even look at, I mean, we're going to talk a lot about this year and we'll talk about what lies ahead in 2022 for, for you and for, uh, you know, the game, but have you kind of come to a thought process or how you move mm. forward from this? Well, I think COVID was the, was the happening of, of our lifetime and there yeah. will be a, there's a new, new bar set. Um, yeah, for for good or for bad, I'm I'm still jury's still out with me. I don't I don't really I'm not quite sure. I know there are a lot of silver linings in it for personally and for a lot of people that I know, but uh, there's also been a lot of damage and a lot of fear that I don't think people are going <clears> to <throat> rinse very quickly. I uh, it's and you said it's it's a tragic occurrence, but it's so incredible what it's done for the game of golf. I mean, every oh, I mean, my go- gosh. golf isn't it's insane. I have a friend of mine we grew up together just hitting golf balls at a local driving range he works for an equipment company he's come back to the game working as a as a fitter for an equipment company and obviously i'm doing what i'm doing and i texted him the other day i said can you believe that we're we're in our mid-40s and making a living in the golf industry he's like i never would have thought that in a growing golf in a growing yeah and it's you're not watching it flush itself out and uh you know, who the heck would have thought that you couldn't get pull carts or push carts? I, you know, and, <laughs> and they're counterfeiting clubs because because the stuff that they want is, is sitting at the port of LA or Long Beach because they can't get, they're all backed up on on uh, ships coming into the country. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah, you can't get shafts, you can't get wedges. And the pull cart or push cart that, at least when I was playing, uh, you know, junior golf or college golf, nobody would be caught dead in a put with a push cart. No, but now um, they have ones with seats, and and it's crazy. Uh, yeah, I don't. Who would have thought? No, it's crazy. So we uh, we had you. Obviously, you're on the you're on the podcast back uh, back in 2019. We talked a lot about your start in the game. We we touched upon uh, your your playing career. Um, you know, two major champions. We. I still chuckle with the story you told me about Poppy's Pond at the uh, Dinosaur A and A. That was uh, one of the more interesting moments in the history of the podcast. Uh, I will definitely put the link to that episode in the show notes of this podcast. So feel free <laughs> go back and listen to that one. That was a great episode. This one we're focusing on something a little bit different. Um, you know, obviously with your time as a broadcaster with CBS, clearly th- uh, that is not taking up enough of your time and you had to find something to fill the gap. So you decided I better write a book. Is that, well, is that, is that an accurate statement? You just had so much free time. You're, you just, I, I got to do something. I'm being completely facetious because this, well, part the, of it yeah. though is, is linked to the time that we did have on our hands with all the wicked COVID lockdowns in, in the state of New York. And I was bound to determine I was going to do something positive. So, Part of it's part of it's actually true. I did have a lot of time on my hands. Okay, so the book we're going to be talking about, uh, "Letters to a Future Champion: My Time with Mr. Pulver," uh, really, I've just wrapped up reading this uh, recently, and it, it's an in- incredible book. And the thing that I like so much about it is that you know a, f- a lot of former, uh, you know, a lot of current pros, former pros, retired pros, whatever you want to call it, they will write a book, and and the the audience is going to think, okay, I'm going to 
It's just it's going to follow a simple timeline. We're going to hear them talk about their start and their junior experience and then playing in college and, and just follows the standard timeline. This book has so many different layers and tangents because it's not just written in your own words, but it also includes, and I would say the, the focal point of this book, are the handwritten and typewritten letters between you and your mentor, Mr. Pulver. So before we talk about the process of this book, perhaps give just a, a brief introduction uh, of Mr. Pulver for the listeners so they kind of understand a little bit more about your mentor. So who was George Pulver? Um, he was born in 1898, World War I veteran, in, born in Saratoga Springs, New York. Went to Saratoga Springs High School, where I went to high school. Um, worked for some of the, or with some of the greatest professionals and architects of the golden era of golf's time. And um, ended up being a founding member of the Northeastern New York PGA section. Uh, three kids that were all involved in the game somehow. Uh, wife who played extremely good golf at the club championship level. Sort of a very, very good golfer. Uh, and he was you know, really kind of the legend in this area um, as, as a player, as I turned out, as it turned out, because I had to dig so hard, so deep to find out that not only did he play good golf, he played great golf and played championship caliber golf. Uh, but he was, he was really the royalty in this area when it came to teaching um, and and, and building a, a lot of golf courses in this area as well, uh, or consulting on them. So um, that was George Pulver in a nutshell. He died at age uh, 87 in the early part of 1986. And I knew of or knew Mr. Pulver from about the time I was oh, 11 or 12 years old. Sure. I reached out to him as uh, because he, he, he was the architect of the golf course that I played the majority of my golf at that time with my grandmother up in, in South Corinth, about 20, 25 minutes from Saratoga Springs. And I would see him up there quite frequently. He was already, um, it was, you know, he was really retired by then. He was just putting the finishing touches on Brookhaven and he always had his, his fingers in the agronomy and, and making sure the golf course was put to bed properly for the winter and, and just, just involved in the game in general. But I reached out to him as a, as a 14 year old um, looking for better places to play golf yeah. tournaments. I wasn't really getting anything from the PGA professional at McGregor links, which was right around the corner from my house. And I really just reached out because I didn't know who else would have better access or better knowledge of, of what was going on in tournament golf than George Polar. It's so crazy that you mentioned that. Cause I was just about to bring up like one of the first correspondents <clears throat> between you and Mr. Pulver in in the book is exactly that. You're reaching out as mm -hmm. like this little kid saying, excuse me, do you know where I could play some tournament golf? <laughs> exactly and right. It, and it's, you, know, I, you know, do you know where I could, and I'm thinking, how crazy is this? Because now everyone just pulls their phone out or there's all these different avenues to get into junior golf and different levels, you know, U.S. kids and the the junior league and and. It, this just for for young girls this just did not exist and we're not we're not talking uh we're not talking about like the 1920s here i mean we're we're like this is not that long ago this is in, in 1980 yeah right exactly yeah. i mean this is just 
and and you're still like hey i need a place to play like i ha- i have a, a love for the game i think i'm yeah i have something here i don't know if you consider yourself how great you were at that time but you're like i know i need to play against someone better right right and i think too i mean to to make it full come full circle in this area in particular now we're talking about the capital region of the state of New York. This is not an insignificant it, it, yes. uh, place in, in the country. Right. Um, we just now in, in public high school, there's just since 2019, they now have a section two championship. We're, we're in the section two uh, of, I don't know, 14 or 15 sections in the whole, whole state for uh, high school athletics. Section two didn't have a girls golf championship until 2019. It's insane. So, so, I mean, I was, it was legitimate reaching out to figure out where do you play? Yeah. And it's just now really changed. Cause, and you played on, on the boys high school team when you, and, and I guess that's good to get reps, but at some point, like, you know, you can't just play. Like I think you in the book you mentioned you played a, a regional championship when the course was tipped out at seven thousand. I mean, at some point that that doesn't help you. I no, mean, I mean that was actually right. the state high school championship okay. when they figured out a girl qualified and I was leading after nine holes. They were bound <laughs> to determine that I was not going to win. <laughs> oh my gosh! But um, I was going to say that it's just it's craziness that that it's just getting to this point where. Um, I mean, and, and I loved playing on the boys' golf team. But don't go, don't get me wrong. Right. But not every girl has the personality or the strength to be able to go tee it up with the boys. Yes. The confidence to be able to right. do that. Hundred percent. So I don't know if it was confidence or desperation or a combination of of the two, but that was what I had to play if I was going to play high school golf, and that's just what you did. So you start kind of, as you said, you know, COVID hits, you got downtime, you're trying to put together, mm-hmm. okay, I want to, I want to get a project, you settle on writing this book. And again, you could have written this just sharing your thoughts and memories, but you incorporate the letters and the, the book is, is just beautifully well done. And the letters really, I mean, the letters, the photographs, it, it, it just comes together so perfectly. How did that concept of how the book was going to be laid out how did that come to your to your mind uh you know how how is that that looks to me as one of the most complicated complicated things of right. this whole project that's why i didn't do it <laughs> there we go we got Ed, we got to the bottom of it perfect yeah so i think there's there's two answers to your question and i kind of go in in a, in a chronological order so i had my original binder of letters and there's a, a there's about a hundred of them. That's that's incredible. Yeah, and it, there's you know some pretty significant stuff discussed in those letters, but I I had a blue folder apart from the three ring binder that uh, when Mr. Pulver died, his family passed on to me, and it was labeled golf articles. Well, I was never allowed to read Golf Digest, or Golf Magazine for anything other than um, people, places, competitions. Player it wasn't feature, your, I, something like that. Correct. Yeah. Mr. Pulver never wanted me to read mechanics and get stuck trying to, um, you know, be something I wasn't. But I think more so he didn't want to unteach me because he knew what I would absorb and what I would reject right. and what would get me completely off the tracks. So 
but being a, a complete student of the game himself, he was endlessly curious about the game. He, he would get all of those magazines and tore out the pages that were of particular interest to him and would underline and highlight and write notes in the margins. So when I opened this, uh, this, this folder after 35 years, I thought the forbidden material was okay to look now. Uh, I found exactly what I was, I thought I would find. And that was articles, the young, the oldest one uh, went back to 1966. And some of them were in pretty, pretty tender shape. Oh, I could, uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I was not prepared to find in that folder because of the way he had labeled it was every letter I wrote to him. Oh, wow. Okay. So you had no idea. You knew you kept, I had, you kept the I letters. Had no that idea. He, yeah. So you kept the letters that he wrote to you yes. as your resource, but you had no idea that he kept the letters that you wrote to him. Exactly. I oh, had no idea. I had, oh, the okay, depth, no, wow. I had no idea. So my, my idea about writing this book was really going to be more of a booklet sort of thing because I just thought I had my letters. Right. Oh, wow. And I was, and they were all in chronological order. But I, but I really thought I needed to have some supplemental material. So I was going back through scrapbooks and the blue folder was in a pile of that sort of, of stuff. And as things that the kids had continued, his, his three children had continued to send me over the years as they'd clean out an office or they'd just come across something. So then this, this booklet just kind of blew up it was going to be the plan was to do something like peter thompson had a had a small book out that he was letters and uh, articles and things that really kind of shaped his philosophy about the game and that's what it was going to be it was going to be very simple um probably just paperback you know maybe 60 70 80 pages sure no big deal until i found the letters and then i just i've got something much greater right. here um and this his story needs to be told more. It's not about me. It might be how our, our worlds intersected, but it really was about um, getting his message out to more people than having it sit in that three ring binder, because this was a relationship that meant clearly meant a lot more to him than I believed it did. And I just kept thinking there are people that can benefit from this, Yeah, whether it's youth sports, whether it's, People who really understand the history of the game. Uh, I had such great cooperation and help from people at Augusta, from the PGA of America, from the State Golf Association here in New York. Uh, when they understood the depth and the, the scope of the whole project, they were amazingly helpful in getting, getting the, the content so it could be arranged the way it was. And it was done by Martin Miller, who uh, is from Miller Brown and works in Sacramento, uh, his company. But he's worked on some of the greatest golf projects that there are, including photography at Augusta National and at the Honorable Company and the original rules of golf when they were put in at the Honorable Company a couple of years ago, um, photographing at Pebble Beach and, and Cypress Point. And he's done, he's has an amazing eye, um, but he also has a design element and what what good printed material looks and feels like and there really was nobody else other than to, to do this very personal project than martin 
Yeah, I, I I love the flow of it. Um, I just love it. Just it's so easy to follow it. And the thing that's so great is that it, it's you could see the effort that he put into how he communicated his thoughts to you. Yeah. There's yes, there are things that are technical about your swing, about your left foot coming up and and your right knee and, and, and your left hip. You don't yeah. swing left. There's all the, there's all that that's there, but you could just see how the the okay i have i have a prodigy here i have someone that's very interested in in advancing how do i communicate these ideas so she can absorb them and use them correctly and not get lost and that just seems that in every single letter he's trying to craft the message as best as possible and that's the thing that jumps out too and the other thing that really jumps out also is how special the time frame of this was because this a book like this you'll probably never get to read ever again because right now everything is in text messages and video messages <laughs> and emails nobody's going to go back and look at their their inbox on old emails from their coach no one's doing that anymore that, that's a that's a great point and they and they wouldn't have had um, the the character that a manual typewriter or oh that's the best that's, his, that's his like the penmanship. best yeah, that's the, the best yeah, part that's, of it that adds to the character of of the work yeah 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 no i i, I love yeah. that part of it so we're obviously not going to go through the entire book we're going to definitely leave uh information in the show notes of how people can purchase the book and um but there are a couple things that i noticed that i wanted to get your thoughts on so Right now we talk about, uh, you know, the big, uh, you know, obviously swing theories, but, but mental approach and mental toughness. And there's, there's the, the mental coaches that are all over the PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, and in the amateur game. But 1981, you win the New York State Amateur and the New York State Junior. And that was in my notes back when we did uh, the episode in 2019. And it's kind of mm -hmm. part of your amateur bio. But at the time, I did not know that that was in the summer after you broke your wrist skiing and also slammed your thumb in a car door. <laughs> yes. Okay. So weeks, 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 just, right. Well, the car door was just weeks. Yeah. Right. So the, the skiing was first and then you're rehabbing that or you're, you're healing up and then you get your thumb in a car door. And like I said, this is all in the winter and spring leading up to the two championships that really mm -hmm. were your, those are the two you wanted. And, and, yeah. and, what I find so interesting is that you win these two in a time where you probably, or you definitely were not able to hit as many balls and prepare physically. How did Mr. Pulver prepare you mentally during that time? He, well, he gave me that the writing assignment it was Sam Sneed's book it was part of the, you know, oftentimes he would not just leave a letter in my mailbox after a lesson or when something popped into his head over the winter or whenever it was. Uh, he would often give me books to read and that little tiny book. Well, it is really a, it's more like a book. Sam Sneed's book. It cost 50 cents when it first came to the market. Unbelievable. But I just sucked that, that all of that knowledge <laughs> in and thought, well, if I can't hit golf balls, I'm going to, I'm almost going to just practice in my mind and learn how to be tougher so that when I, when I do get a chance to be back out on the golf course again, that I'm going to be ready to play. And, and I think, he always took uh, disappointment or speed bumps and turned them into something positive. Uh, everything was always a positive learning experience. And 
uh, I think his his yeah the, yeah there was a lot of stuff I mean mechanically and physically about turning me in from from a kind of a weak fader to a power draw and completely changing the way I looked at a golf course but there was even more in there there's life coach stuff in there I mean oh, he I could he could probably be really um, a, a licensed life coach today and never have to study for it he's just he was an amazing man and I think a lot of it was growing up at the time he did during, he went through two world wars, uh, three children, the depression, all of it. And it molded this man that had so much to give people, but he was also extraordinarily humble and quiet. I mean, I did, when we decided to do the timeline at the beginning of, of the book, because I felt like people needed to know more about his sure. journey. Sure. Yeah. I didn't know he'd beaten Tom Creevy when he was national champion. He was national PGA champion and, and beat him by, I think it was six shots in the New York Northeastern New York open. Yeah. Like he could really play, but he never, never. talked about that. If anything, through the book, you see himself deprecating and really picking say. on his putting and his pitching. And <laughs> well, and also, and also, every time you would write him and say, "Oh, you've done so much for me. Uh, without you, I wouldn't be able to accomplish this." He would always downplay that. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. That's uh, you're, right. you're giving me right. too much credit. I just, I'm yeah, just very humble man. Yeah, no, I'd see a lot of that. Um, the other thing I I did not know is that you were invited. Um, I guess because of your, your low am in the 84 U.S. Women's Open, you were invited to play in the Dinosaur in 85. Dinosaur, now the ANA. You ended up winning that twice as a professional. I never knew that you actually turned down the invite in 85 just because, you know, you didn't have the, the mechanism behind you that most elite amateurs have to be able to travel and play in any tournament that you're invited to. Right. You kind of had to, to play in what you could locally because, you know, just getting an air, getting a flight in a hotel and a car that, that just wasn't a, a done deal the way it is for amateurs these days. So, right. yeah, I mean, in, in the <clears throat> mid eighties to hear that the low am of the U S women's open didn't, that's unheard of. Yeah. I, I couldn't afford to play. Uh, college golf was the best thing for me because Furman University was paying for me to, to play in these tournaments that I didn't, frankly didn't have the money to play in. Yeah, And and it was really still all the way through college golf. It was um, during the summer. I pretty much had to be able to drive to tournaments and, to, and stay in private housing and and kind of scratch my way through through that way. The money just wasn't there. My I didn't come from a well-off family. And as I say in the book, I'm still not exactly sure where the money for the plane ticket to go to the women's amateur in 1984 came from, because that was, there was panic. I mean, there's such joy when I was low amateur in 84. And then it got to the exemption then, and you didn't know how you were going to get there. And my parents were just like, we weren't prepared for this for the rest of the summer. You're going to play in the stadium and you're, you know, do, do the normal things. Right. When regional tournaments came, you, you, you would certainly play, but uh, the, it was the panic, and I'm I'm pretty darn sure my grandparents paid for that ticket. But I do remember getting knocked out 
in the first round and having to sit there for three days because the return trip of the, of the reticketed, it was so expensive. So I just stayed in the private house. <laughs> I couldn't afford to leave. No. Couldn't, couldn't call up Delta.com and get a, get a, uh, use no. your points. No. Okay. Tell, no. tell me, uh, give me a good story about the Winnebago. Oh my gosh. My grandfather snored like, like <laughs> a freight train. It was, uh, it was just awful. So it slept, um, there, there was a, a loft above the, the driver and passenger seat. And then of course the area in the kitchen rolled out to, I think it was a twin bed and there was a queen in the, in the back. Oh my God. I didn't, I just, you know, just a pa, pa would go sleep up in front and you actually go up in the loft area when he really got it going bad. But uh, I also remember that that women's amateur at Rome Country Club. I'd never uh, played a thirty played thirty six holes. I mean, I played thirty six holes at home and just casual. Let's go play eighteen sure, more, or sure. emergency night or whatever. But I never played thirty six holes of competitive golf straight through. So you win in the morning, play the next match in the afternoon. And I remember that night, uh, my I got terrible leg cramps. And my, my grandfather yelling at my mother, go get that girl some bananas. She needs potassium. Oh, my God. So this Winnebago, this is basically like when you had local tournaments or yeah. somewhat local. You, instead of there was no hotel or guest housing, you just pulled the Winnebago up. Uh, you're just rolling, rolling with that and kind of yeah. like tin cup style. It, it kind of was because when I qualified for that Women's Open in 84, uh, I had, it was down in Westchester at Apuamas and the following tournament that started like, I don't know, two days later in New Haven was the women's Western. And my mother and my sister, they drove me down to Apuamas. I qualified. My sister was caddying for me. And then we took, we took it up by 95, you know, the Northern part of New York city. <laughs> Away we go. We're going to New Haven. The golfing it really was. It, it was. And then same same thing when I got into the women's open, uh, it went back and we were at this horrible uh, campground, the, the swimming, swimming hole at the campground was actually bone dry because the summer had been so hot and, but it was close. So we, and dad came over at the middle of the week. So we actually had a car and didn't have to take the camper and park it on the street outside PVD country club. Oh my gosh. For <laughs> Salem. Yeah. That's so good. That's so <laughs> it's good. crazy. Um, the other great thing I love about this book is how you not, it's not, it is not just you and, and Mr. Pulver. It's weaving in, uh, contemporaries, other greats in the game, your other experiences. I love the story about you being able to, uh, catch a glimpse of, uh, of Seve and of, uh, Ben Crenshaw and mm -hmm. just being able to go. But I also, I think two, uh, people that were highlighted that, that, um, you want to talk about two people selfishly that at some point would love to have his guests on the back of the range, uh, Joanne Carner and Judy Rankin. So, <laughs> yes. um, so Joanne Carner, I mean, legend, 43 wins, only woman to have a U.S. Junior Women's Am and U.S. Women's Open to her name. Absolutely. I think she shot her age at the U.S. Senior Women's Open last she year. I think she did it twice. Twice, something like that. And she's yeah, 80, yeah. 82 years old and she's still yeah. got heaters and, you know, still, still knocking down yep. cigarettes. Oh yeah. It's the best. So, um, in the book, you know, she gave you this, this basic, uh, mantra and mindset into match play. And yeah, yes. it's one thing to share, share advice, but what's so interesting is that I found out in the book, 
you didn't like match play as a kid and you're the you have the highest winning percentage in Solheim Cup history and you hate it and you hated match play as a kid I hated it because there was the potential to score lower than someone and still lose the match and that did happen a couple of times and I did not particularly care for that okay (laughs) Uh, uh, but Carner my god uh, she she changed my thoughts about match play in one sentence and that was just go win the first hole. Well, okay. Well, that seems pretty simple. I can, I can get myself in a mindset to do that. And it, it really, it, it changed the way I, I thought about match play. And um, God, I mean, just the, the Carter, just to be around her and listen to the stories. And, and you always knew where she was hitting balls on the range because of the cigarette butts and the red lipstick on the end of the cigarette uh-huh, butt. Uh-huh. Now, Joanne had been there. <laughs> and she was just, she was a, she was a character, is a character. And how lucky to have, um, you know, played under her on a Solheim Cup team. And then to follow it, the next two Solheim Cups were captained by Judy Rankin, who has been such a mentor to me in my, my current job I was, as, yeah. as a broadcaster. But she was also extremely important in my appreciation of the way she prepared for to be the captain of of the United States side on the Solheim Cup. And the things that she she looked after and made sure were just right were the things that you would never worry about. But Judy worried about them. And she's just become such a such a close friend. And um, just thankful to have been around around both of them for as long as I could. Yeah, both uh, both members of the World Golf Hall of Fame. And I was mm-hmm. just going to say, yeah, if, if Mr. Pulver was your mentor during your playing career, then then I, I'm guessing Rankin has to be your mentor in broadcasting. And uh, hands down, yeah, yes. yeah, hands down. Yeah. And and you know she doesn't. Yeah. I don't think she gets her due. You know, we hear a lot about. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. See, I, I like to throw the understatement. Not even close. I just try and throw the understatement yeah. just to make sure you're paying attention. But no, she <laughs> she doesn't get it. I mean, you know, when people think of the, the guys in the booth, that they're, or, you know, they, they obviously go to the, you know, and, and it's well-deserved if you're thinking of you're going with Nance or you're going with any other names, you're going with, with Hicks, you're going with, um, you know, Johnny Miller. But I she does, I don't think she gets her due. And uh, and she's, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about the LPG in a little bit, but yeah, she she is she's a treasure, isn't she? She's a treasure, uh, and, and you think about it, she. Our our paths crossed um, for the very first time, and we didn't really even realize this in 1984 at that Women's Open at Salem. Uh, it was her first event working for ABC Sports, and that sit down I had with her where we. I don't know, I, we were on a Zoom call for an hour that I had transcribed. And I learned so much more about my friend than I had any idea. So you, you think of, of Judy Rankin as being uh, soft-spoken, but, but extremely confident sure. and kind. Um, she was in the, when she left the playing, her playing career behind in 84 and went to work with ABC, she said she was on the verge of a nervous breakdown because her body hurt so badly and she was so miserable. The game of golf was making her miserable. That she and she was so bound up by nerves to say she could barely look someone in the eye and have a conversation. And she said her greatest fear was that she was going to be asked to talk about a golf shot and she would put the microphone up to her mouth and nothing would come out. Right, right. But she was just a bundle of nerves by the time by the time that early part of the summer of eighty four rolled around. Wow. You would never think that, would you? No. 
ever. No, that's no, incredible. Just, yeah, but she's she's taught people so much, whether it was on or off the golf course. But but she truly loved loves everyone she she works with. I mean, she really she takes care of the technicians, she of the PAs of you know she's just she's always she was a great person to model how you'd be a good teammate. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the LPGA and I, I, you know, before we let you go, I mean, like I said, we're going to, everyone's going to know exactly how to, and, and let me, I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you think we can get a copy of this book autographed by you for a listener? Think we can manage something like that? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, cool. Done Good. deal. Done. Yes. Done. Okay. Yes. That's great. Great right. idea. I'm, I'm glad you thought of that, Dottie. Boy, I'm telling yes. you, just a forward thinking marketer. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, before we move on to maybe, I want to definitely recap a couple things in 2021 because it was an incredible year in professional golf, and you're you're right, you're there every step of the way. Mr. Pulver passed away in '86 while you're still a student at Furman, and just as the title of the book says, "My Time with Mr. Pulver," this book concludes as really after your time with him is done, and, and it does not. Right. You don't talk anything about your professional career, nothing about Solheim. You know, here's what I nothing. That's it. And I'm sure that was a very difficult time for you, losing a close friend, uh, you know, personally, but also as it related to your your future aspirations in the game. How did you move forward, um, not just at mm-hmm. Furman, but into your early days as a professional? It was a, a, a jagged <laughs> uh, journey yeah. trying to, I mean, you can't replace someone R- like of co- that. R- I, of course, but, it, but you also yeah. know that I you know, my game and my life is, it's going to move forward. And how do I do that? The best right. 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 Um, I did, I took lessons from Jack Conger in central New York and Jack remains a friend today. Um, really had a lot of the same philosophies that, that uh, Mr. Pulver did. Jack was a, was a, at Pompey club when I lost in the final of the 82 junior uh, and, and shared a love of skiing and, and, and all of that. Um, ex-husband that I worked with for quite some time, um, but then moved on to work with Ted Ossoff, who is just, a, he's at Gator Creek during the, during the winters now, but had, had a little golf course, nine hole golf course in Eastern Ohio, right, right around Youngstown in Valley Golf Club. And uh, Ted was very much of the philosophy that Mr. Pulver was. And, and, Ted and I would get Mr. Pulver's letters out and, and go through the, some of the things that, that, that seemed to trigger positive stuff that, um, that Ted would just kind of, as he said, we're just going to polish up the Bentley. Yeah. Polish <laughs> right? up the Bentley. That's uh, yeah. so good. <laughs> that's, that's, it wasn't anything reinventing the wheel. And right. then uh, toward the end of my career, I was able to spend a good amount of time with the Harmon family and not, not just Craig, who I, who I worked with primarily, but really was, brought into the Harmon um, envelope and had a relationship with Butch and with Billy and with Dick before, before he passed. I remember spending, it was the year that I, I had my first shoulder surgery. So that would have been 2002. Um, <laughs> I drove, I was going down to get a, a release from the doctor, see how, how are we doing and, and move on to the next level of of PT and I had the surgery done in Columbus, Georgia. Well, in between, I, I didn't think it was very much out of my way to go through Augusta, Georgia to go to Columbus, Georgia from Greenville, South Carolina. So that's where I went. No problem. I understand. I see no. what you're, I so see what you're I, doing. Yeah. 
that's right. So I walked to Augusta National with Craig Harmon and his son, Ben. And they said, why don't you guys come over to the house that we've had since our father was Masters champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you come on over to the house for dinner? Because Dick brought brought ribs and all, all the good stuff from Houston. And I said, well, that's great. Well, I ended up spending the night on the couch. <laughs> After all the stories, Roger Clemens was over at the house, Billy Android. Oh. The stories, it was just one of those nights in golf you never forget. You just don't even ask a question. You just sit there nope. and sponge it all up. Yep. And to listen to all four Harmon brothers at the time and Clemens and Android, and they're just such great stories came out of that night. And I just, that that's the biggest plus of having been around the, around the Harmon family. Another funny story about the Harmons. When I went to work for NBC, Roger Maltby said, you work with one of the Harmons, don't you? I said, yeah, I work with Craig. And he said, Harmons don't teach chicks. Wow. I said, well, I'm not a chick. Wow. All right, Raj. Uh, back to you, Raj. And, right, and Raj and I were, were you know, brother, sister. Right, right, but right. But it just, it just cracked me up. And and I think it set the tone too for our relationship that he didn't have to he didn't have to tenderfoot around any exactly. conversation that he had with me. <laughs> that's that's funny. Yeah, but it but it was it was a journey to try to find not just not just the thoughts but the delivery because you can say something as a teacher to one student and have it be taken one way and another student completely take it another way and mm-hmm. another student it's that other 180 degrees of a direction. So I, I think it's the finding the right not just the right person, but the right delivery and philosophy. Well, I'm glad you, you mentioned the delivery and the the delivery of it, because I think, you know, this book is, is a great, it's a great insight to your journey, uh, you know, in, in junior golf and in collegiate golf and, and how you, you got started in the game. But I also think it's a really important read for parents of junior golfers, because if you read this book and the relationship that you had with Mr. Pulver if your kid doesn't have a similar relationship with their instructor, that should be a source of concern. Cause I think so. Yeah. I think, I, so. I think that's, and forget about the swing theories. You can just kind of, and, and like I said, the technical aspect is not necessarily what jumped out to me. It was more about the communication method and the relationship. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the thing that should be of primary focus. Yeah. And, and I think part, part of why I'm wanting to, broaden the reach of this book too was because i don't think this that's just a, a golf right. relationship yeah. i think it's across all all youth sports if you're if you're you know on these travel teams and there's a and the relationship isn't isn't deep and it isn't genuine and it isn't and are continuing to grow in both directions then what are we at yeah. are we in the right place yeah or is that the right person or does my kid need a or do I need a little bit of a, a change of of perspective or attitude? What, what might that be? Uh, I I just I I just see we always we live next to a rec center here in Saratoga Springs, and you hear some pretty bad things coming from those fields from parents and coaches and kids that we just don't have that relationship yeah. and the perspective of where where the games are in their lives. Uh, it, it's easy to get wrapped up. Heck, you know, we all got wrapped up, yeah. but. Um, just to, to hear the the unhappiness and the lack of joy from kids playing a sport um, that that it just 
it was the, one of those things that you know Mr. Pulver always shared with me was that if, if the game is not fun or if it's becoming a grind, put the clubs away. Yeah. <laughs> go be a kid. Go do other things until the game starts to chew at your heart again. It says, I need to be back. I need to go put the club in my hand. And, and then and to take that break, it's not only okay, it's way healthy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've, I'm sure you know of stories and, and of players that at the junior level, they – you know, they, they just don't want to play anymore, but they feel that they have to because there's been so much time, effort, and and frankly, money invested in them. Money, they, right? And they feel ob- they feel obligated to do it. I mean, I I've yeah. heard stories of of collegiate golfers who are like, okay, I only have to do this for one more year, and they're not thinking about turning pro. They're thinking about I, I need some time to not do this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, we will definitely make sure people know how to get this book. Um, but let's uh, before I let you go, 2021, incredible year. Lots, lots happened this year. That old guy won the PGA Championship. Um, yeah, yeah. How that about, old guy, that, that old guy won a PGA Championship. Oh my gosh, I can't believe. I mean, that that it feels like it was so long ago too. I mean, you have Hideki won the Masters. You have Rom winning at Torrey Pines U.S. Open. We have Phil obviously winning the PGA Championship. Morikawa winning winning the the open championship. I mean, those are just for the four majors each. Right. Yeah. Each one important for its own specific reason. Uh, is, is Phil's win at the PGA jumping out to you the most, or do you have your own maybe thoughts on which major victory is the most significant in 2021? I right, Phil's Phil's was, was huge. I think for worldwide golf, Hideki hands down. Yeah. Uh, I think for older golf, Phil, for rebound golf, John Rom. Yep. Remember what had happened three, what two weeks prior, three yeah. weeks prior. Yeah, I got to re- I got to report through my iPhone watch that I got the information that he tested positive for COVID on Saturday with a six shot lead going into the final round, um, and then to turn around and win the U.S. Open, um, and then Morikawa. I mean, that to me is is the future of American golf, and. In many ways, the future of the Ryder Cup is what you're looking at—a guy who, who could be there for a very, very long time. Yeah. So um, they all had—I don't—I don't know which one's the, the bigger. I think the worldwide story with Matsuyama will will ring longer, louder. Uh, but they all were very special and, and impactful in their own ways. I think Hideki's is going to take a little time to see that play out. I love the photo mm-hmm. of him in the airport with the green jacket. thought that was the, the, one of the best things I've ever seen. Yep. Going through O'Hare. Going, yeah, just, just like, yeah. <laughs> yep. just. I, I thought that was great. And then, yeah, yeah like you said, Morikawa was going to be around for a long time. Um, Phil, I, I, man, you know, if Phil would have kept playing well, and then he would have gotten himself onto that Ryder Cup team. I think that would have had given it a little bit more of a bump. It almost feels like that just happened yeah. and then disappeared um, a little bit. I just it doesn't. Yes, his play for the rest of the year kind of disappeared. You're right. Yeah, it just it feels like yeah. that just was a blip of like, did that yeah. really just happen? Um, mm-hmm. But um, the Ryder Cup, I-, I was really excited to see the American team win. The only sense of concern that I have with the Ryder Cup is just. The marketing of it, the gallery of it, the, or the galleries have not matured to match the importance of the event. And mm. some of the antics and the the taunting of the European team by the gallery, uh, it, it, it's going in a direction that, like, 
Okay, at at the waste management, yes, there's going to be drunken yeah. idiots on seven on sixteen. Everyone right. knows it. They they understand it. Sure, the celebrities at the AT and T, the slow play, the, inter, the got it. Okay, we we expect yeah. that. I don't want to see that at the Ryder Cup. I want the play mm-hmm. to be the focus. I don't want it to be the taunting of the players, and I I just think that cheapens it. And I don't know how you fix that. Well, I don't. To be honest, I, I think COVID had a lot to do with it because there were virtually no fans at all from the European side. So there was, there was no check and balance in, in the bleachers. There's, there's not, you know, a guy who's traveled from Scotland standing next to somebody from Scottsdale. Right. You know, there's it. I think so that I think was, um, it was like pouring a little gasoline on the fire this year because there, there was, there was no balance. Yeah. Uh, and, and, a, and I think, you know, there's some decorum that, yeah, sure. I, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I love the stuff though. With the first time I ever heard the the chanting in the in the stands was at at our 1996 at Wales when Judy was captain for the first time, and the European fans had come up with these. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Right. Oh, I oh I love the first tee. I'm sorry. Let me yeah. rephrase. I love the first tee. Get it out of your system, but, and that's but that's a singular yeah. spot. I'm and cool it's with the that. theater. Yes. But yeah, I, I I get where you're coming from. It got a little little out of hand, but I do think when there's more equal balance of who the spectators are, whether it's just an all basically home game the way it was this year, versus what I hope will be totally normal when they go back to Italy. Yeah, uh, I think you'll see a better balance of behavior. Two of the guys that are on the U.S. team, I can't believe we're going to talk about this, but we got to talk about it. Um, I I rarely give my own like I, I I hate the term hot takes and all that, but <laughs> I um I just don't have the ability to care anymore about Bryson and Brooks. Um I, I just I, I I find them both individually fascinating to follow. I mean Bryson mm-hmm. in the mad scientist role, mm-hmm. constantly trying to, you know, solve for X. I love it. And I love Brooks, how he just kind of got his injuries he battles and then somehow some way he just says to everyone i'm here at the major you got to go through me i love that yep but if they're not going low on the weekends in a pga tour event or a dp world tour event i i don't i don't care and i i don't want this content being shoved on me like the match i didn't watch the match Mm -hmm. i didn't watch any of it i and i i heard that the best part of the match was the banter between phil and charles barkley I, I you're right yeah. uh I, I did watch it and and what i what i well i also because you, you never know what you're gonna i mean you gotta watch it from a professional I guess obligation I, yeah, from my yeah. from my perspective but um i i think this all comes boiled down to, now i don't get me wrong i the eye roll at keogh island was one of the best things i've ever seen okay that was phenomenal. Okay, that sort of got this whole thing started. Whether it was leaked, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the timeline of that was. Right. But what's what's so bad about two guys not liking each other? Who cares? Right. Um, you know, Jack and Arnold weren't exactly buddy buddy to start, and Zinger and and Chevy, <laughs> there wasn't a lot, a lot of love lost there either. But I think there was. There's three letters you can chalk this up to. It by the time. The agents got involved and television executives and they're looking at who's going to play the next match. It's called PIP. Oh, gosh. 
How do we not bring that up? There's too much money out there not to like fuel this thing for the rest of the year. Right. There's way too much money out there. Yeah, I I think a lot of this was was fueled by that. Yeah, I have no doubt that they don't really care for each other. They are they are not wound the same at all. Right. But there's PIP money out there. Yeah. And a lot of it. Uh, I want I want to see it in a in significant tournament i don't want to see it in correct a, right that's where i want to see it yes and i yes. you know yeah like that that's that's what i want to see um yeah so we'll get you out of here on let's talk a little bit lpga um you know we before we started recording we were kind of sharing some thoughts on on the lpga and growing that side and that faction of mm-hmm. the game um you know giving it i know sometimes if you if you look on twitter it's about well it needs to be on tv more it needs to be have more eyeballs on it and i think that's great too but you got to remember that if you do give it more time on tv that does not necessarily guarantee more people are going to watch it so we shared some thoughts on perhaps ways Mm -hmm. that you know how do you get more people to invest their time into watching the game on tv and do you think i mean is it just the fact there's not as many opportunities to see it or it can it can the, the product be altered i mean if i'm gonna you're the commissioner go ahead so i and i've, I've spoken to molly about this Talking um, about, i'm sorry molly, 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 yeah. yeah molly marcus okay. who incidentally i played junior golf against in the in the, in the state of new york <laughs> uh, and we were pen pals so there you go there you go um i, I think there there are three things that you need to look at from a from a television platform uh, yeah, it's you need a, a recognizable, repeatable place to find the LPGA tour. So, it, you know, for example, we know at three o'clock on Thursday and Friday afternoons, sometimes two o'clock, but generally three o'clock Eastern, you're going to be able to find the PGA tour. So, where is that time for the LPGA tour? Um, then, if you're going to put, if you're going to ask more people to spend more time, you have to give them a reason to do that. So you have to upgrade the telecast, upgrade the product that you're seeing on television. And how do you get somebody to, to really give give them your heart? You got to tell them about these players. Why do I care to spend all of this time in front of this television or on the streaming platform? I got to know about these players. Right. Got to know why I can't miss this, that I want to be involved in, in, really grasping what this tour can do. And then I think you have to have, lastly, a television partner who values you and puts you in those spots. Now, why does it have to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Why can't the LPGA play Saturday to Tuesday or Sunday to Wednesday? Right. Have that dedicated time, that dedicated spot. We know live golf produces eyeballs. And can we push as much of the season or as possible play more often if you get the chance on the West Coast where you can push it into the primetime market? That's a great point. That's a, I, I didn't even think about that because that's you're right. When those U.S. Opens are at Torrey or they're at Pebble yes. at primetime, that is everyone wants more yes. of that. Right. Um, and, and, you know, think about Golf Channel. Normally they're doing a rear at that time when it could be live LPGA golf yeah, starting at seven o'clock on the East coast. It's four o'clock on the West. I'm excited this year that they've got two events back to back 
in the LA area on the LPGA tour. You ought to be able to build some momentum and hopefully those are the broadcast windows that'll be filled. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. No. So, you know, maybe change, change date, change time, but start to have some, some repetition and some a recognizable place and time where you can be found. That's a, that's a, I'm still thinking about the other you know, leverage the West coast. Yeah. Still leverage the West coast. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. When I was, I had, a, I had a lot of travel in 2021, and I was on the road for a month straight, as a lot of people that follow the podcast and follow me on Instagram, yes. they know that, <laughs> you, I know you follow what I do on Instagram, and I, I, mm-hmm. I, 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 it was the first time I, it was just when I was really kind of getting going in the summer, and I was on the road for a month straight, and my favorite stop, I've said it numerous times, was the U.S. Women's Amateur at, uh, at Westchester. And just the attitude and the vibe, they were having so much fun and it just seemed less, you know, less stressful than what, maybe what I see on, on the, the men's amateur side. Um, I know that this is out of left field, but how much fun would you have being, uh, I mean, I mean, you didn't play Curtis Cup. I, you didn't play Curtis Cup, did you? No. I did play Curtis you Cup did. in 86. 86, my fault. Okay. Um, I didn't play well, but I played. <laughs> hey, that's okay. You, you got the shirt. Um how how much like, I still have my blazer and I can still wear it. <laughs> so I got on the Curtis Cup team. Uh it was probably I got the call within two weeks of Mr. Pulver passing. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's why it wasn't in the book. Uh yes. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um I you've accomplished a lot in, in your career, obviously. Uh would a call from the USGA asking to be a Curtis Cup captain be something interesting for you? I accepted yesterday. <laughs> I just, that event means so much to me. I mean, it, it changed my my whole perspective on representing your country in yeah. in golf to be part of the first Solheim Cup team. But I am actually uh, in January, on the 15th of January, the practice session for the Curtis Cup is at Mountain Lake. And David and I are new national members there at Mountain Lake, and I've been asked to go attend the dinner as the guest of honor. So I, heck yeah, I'm going. Oh my God. I think it's going to be fantastic. Yes. Yeah, Sarah it, LeBron and Grimman. Yes. Is that so right? Is that, that's in Central Florida, right? That's in Central Florida, and um, I will be there. The practice round for the for the United States Curtis Cup team, I think there's either 12 or 15 girls yeah. that um, are already have been invited. Uh, Jensen and Rose are already on the team. The other spots will be filled partly by what, what goes on uh, that weekend. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, that will be an incredible experience. It will. It will. I, I was thrilled to be asked to, to be part of that. Well, Dottie, this this has been great. I will get you out of this one. It's so funny. We're both we're recording this episode, uh, December tenth. I'm just kind of getting over a cold, and I've noticed that my voice is not as maybe strong and robust as usual. And you're you're you're, you're nice and 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 uh, and and calm, and we're going back and forth. But you recently did the audio recording of your book, so the book is going to be an audiobook format as well. So yeah. um, we'll get you out of here on this one. How is that experience? I know you talk on TV for a living, but to read your book and how how is that experience? It's it's stressful. <laughs> I don't particularly I don't particularly love my voice or oh. what I, I just I don't know. But it's it was very strange too because I had 
not that I had di- kind of not that I had disengaged with the book itself, but I, but I had the book has been printed and now it's warehoused in our basement and I'm filling orders and I'm trying to keep up with the marketing and and, and the publicity for the book. So, a lot I had to reread the book myself before I went in the studio, and we did it in we did chapter one and two, three and four, five, six and seven, and then the bookends of it. It's really hard to read your own acknowledgements and not get emotional about it. Yeah. And then as you go deeper into every session, you know, you're reading in a very, it's basically a closet. So light's not wonderful. Uh, I need reading glasses. So you have all these little challenges, right? Um, but you've done, you're trying to do everything to keep your mind really alert because you don't want to have to do a lot of pickups and, and make mistakes because it just the time clock is is rolling. You've got a lot of people involved, and they're starting to pick pick this pick these little parts together right. and put them into um, into a, some sort of a, a sequence. And it's stressful. It's really stressful. I'm I'm glad that I, I had Jim Nance tell me, "Don't try to do this all in one day." He said we we tried, uh, and when he did his own book, and they had edited a lot of stuff out or kind of cherry picked what the audio was going to be. We did this from cover to cover. Oh my god. And he said it was very difficult. Very difficult. So it was, you know, the only thing it wasn't read was the index. <laughs> that was it. So you read Every, so you read what you wrote, but then you also read the letters. Right. So I found uh, a guy by the name of Bob, Bob Sauer outside Pittsburgh who does uh, voiceovers. Okay, and so he, did he does audiobooks and he did Mr. Pulver, right? Oh, and then my friend Mike Lenz here in Saratoga Springs, who has an audio company, uh, and he's actually the executive producer of the pro- project. I don't know anything about how to do anything other than talk about the letters that I wrote. Um, Mike did the forward and the afterward, and he might have read another part. Um, oh, I think he, he read the obituary. Okay. So Mike had a Mike, and Mike has a wonderful voice. So Mike did did all that and we're right now not to, not to make this podcast other than evergreen but we're now in the in the process of mastering everything so everything was recorded mike did all of his i did all of mine bob did all of his and now they have to be blended together sure sure no 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 yeah. i'm glad you walked through it because that that's how, and I'm, I'm glad i remembered to ask you that because like i said about this book it's not just a in the first person there's the letters there's there it's a lot so i was right. very curious how you wove that together in an audiobook yeah. So that sounds great. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 music, the, the beauty of, of digital communication. There you go. There you go. Dottie, thank you so much again for, for stopping by the back of the range. It's always fun to catch up. I, I, I appreciate our, our texts uh, and, and conversations throughout the year back and forth. Uh, definitely consider you a, a mentor of mine and, and helping my process oh, here at the you. back of the range. And uh, enjoy the holidays. And tell tell Rupert I say hello. Rupert is <laughs> is the the social media star. Your dog, um, he is really just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's something. He is so he is something. enjoy enjoy the holiday season and uh, stay healthy. And uh, I'll see you in twenty twenty two. Thank you again for stopping by the back of the range. Of course, thank you. And there you have it. Special thanks to Dottie Pepper for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. Happy New Year, and we'll see you again next time here 
at the back of the range.